0: Sometimes around here we say, God is good, all and all the time, God is good, God is good. All and all the time. That's whether we feel like it or not, God is still good, Amen. right? Now we're going to begin a new series over the next nine weeks on kingdom attitudes, built out of Galatians 5:22 and 23, but this morning we're also going to look at uh, the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew and look at some things that it says about this characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. Because kingdom attitudes are thinking like the king, having the mindset that God has about life, about ourselves, about others. And so we're gonna look at, this morning, love. Now, love is the fruit of the Spirit. The best way to describe these two verses is Uh, Love has multiple flavors and evidences. There's one fruit and that is love because God is love and the Spirit teaches us that, but it shows up in various other ways. So uh, we'll look at this, it's kind of like lifesavers. You know, you buy a pack of lifesavers, they're different flavors, but they're all still lifesavers. If there's not a lifesaver in there, sue the company, it's not my problem. So I want to ask you a question, we're going to see how honest you are. How many of you have a member of your family? It could be, please don't do this if it's a person sitting by you, but how many of you have a member of your family at some level, it is just hard for you to love them? How many of you got a friend that sometimes it's real difficult to love them as a friend? Schoolmate, work associate, neighbor, All right, those of you that didn't raise your hands, uh, our counseling center is open Mondays through Friday uh, because you're living in denial uh, because all of us know you have the same problems we have. We, We all have issues with loving people, and yet that's what God did for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal, everlasting life. Now, here's what we know, this doesn't just happen. I mean, it's not like there's a switch you turn on and then it's on. Because life hits us in all kind of different ways and depending on what's going on and how good the day is and, you, you know, somebody sometimes will ask me, how you doing? I said, pretty good, so far. Because you, you never know. I mean, you can have one of those days. I don't know if you've ever had one of those days If you haven't, there are about 20 of us that would like to give you one of those days so you can know what it's like when it's hard to love somebody with those extra grace needed people. They're just hard to love people. Now here's the the deal. It's not about what I know, it's what I do. I can know I'm supposed to love everybody, but do I love them the way I'm supposed to love them? It's ahead, but it is also... A heart issue, and the word has to be applied. Now, look at these verses from Philippians. Paul knew that this was a problem of working out our salvation. So, in Philippians 2 and verse 12, he says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's a duality here. It's all of God, but I'm supposed to cooperate. So I'm supposed to work out my salvation, but it's God that is in work in me. So God works in, and we work out what God works in. This is not about... uh, Trying harder, doing better, making resolutions. This is about the life of Christ in me, lived out through me by the power of the Holy Spirit. When I was uh, taking Greek in college, and it's still Greek to me, but uh, when I was taking Greek in college, a guy that was sitting next to me said, uh, Prophet, we're going to. Are we gonna translate from English into Greek or are we just translating from Greek into English? And the professor wisely said, once you get the toothpaste out of the tube, you don't try to put it back in. See, we're the tube. And what God has put in us when life squeezes us, what should come out is the fruit of the spirit. That doesn't always come out. Sometimes God has to roll up the tube a little bit and put a little pressure on us to get the gaps out so that what comes out of us is consistently the life of Christ in us. So God works in us, and then he works through us. Now I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is the Christian life is not difficult. The bad news is, if you think it's difficult, the bad news is it's impossible. You cannot live this life in your own strength. You can't do this by trying harder, doing better because at some point it breaks down. You can just grit your teeth so long and make yourself do something so long and then something's going to come apart. The statistics say that inside the church that divorce and sometimes addictions and especially addiction to pornography and other things are just the same percentage inside the church as they are outside the church. Now why is that? It's not because Jesus is not sufficient. It's not because the Bible promises are not true. It's not because the Holy Spirit doesn't have the power to change our lives. The problem is we've not embraced and embodied what God can do for us and we keep trying to help God out and God is saying, I don't need your help, I need your cooperation. You can't do anything to help me but I can sure help you. I just need you to cooperate with me and yield to me and surrender to me and die to your way of thinking and have a renewed mind. And when you have a renewed mind, you have a renewed heart. God is trying to change us from the inside out. Now, here's what I assume. I assume when people come to church, they want to be better. I I assume that people want to be different. Uh, I assume that people are looking for answers. They're looking for hope. They're looking for meaning. And I also assume that all of us in this room are struggling with something. Health issues, we're struggling with financial issues, we're struggling in our marriages, in our jobs, and our finances, in our relationships, and so we're all on level ground, right? We're all on, every one of us are struggling with something, and if we can't admit that, God can't help us. We have to admit that there are issues and areas in our lives that the devil keeps picking at and prompting us to act the wrong way or to do the wrong thing or to say the wrong thing so i I assume we're all on the same page with that here's what i know the answer is not in another how-to book the answer is not in a method in a program or in a system Uh, i saw a, a tweet this week that said the role of the leader is to keep things simple because we have a tendency to complicate things. And we, we want nice little charts and everything else. And God, with God, it's about relationship. It's about how we relate to him and how we relate to other people. So it's not about the methods that we embrace and nothing wrong with methods and nothing wrong with systems and all that, but when that becomes the driving force of our lives, we lose our meaning of having a relationship with the Heavenly Father. I love what Tim Ritter says. Spirituality doesn't move from outward behavior inward. Spirituality begins on the inside and works its way out. So let me just say that in another way. Walking in the Spirit is first an abiding attitude, and then it's an action. When we get in the thinking, I have to do this and do this and do this and do this, then we're in action first, hoping that our attitude changes. God wants to change our attitude, so our actions change. He's trying to change us from the inside out. And in your notes, you'll see that we need to start with some basics if we're going to understand This fruit of the Spirit, basic number one. Christianity is not a set of rules. I grew up in a church that had a lot of rules. They weren't published. You just better know them. Nobody told you until you broke them. And you know, the rule in my church was I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. And we had people said in one section of church, they had their nasty nine, the nine things you can't do. And then we had people in another section, they had their filthy five, their five things you, you couldn't do with them. And you tried to figure out how to make everybody happy by keeping the rules, and then just about the time you break one, somebody will walk up to you and say, You know, we don't do that in the church. <laughs> hey man, I'm seven. <laughs> do I get a break? I mean, can I just plead seven right now? And they would expect a new Christian to start acting like somebody had been saved for 30 years and then got mad at them when they didn't act that way. Hey, don't do that. Not good. Don't do that. It's not a set of rules. Secondly, Christianity is a relationship. It's about relationships. First, relationships with our Heavenly Father. The next one's with Jesus, the Son who saved us from our sin. And then the relationship with the Holy Spirit that lives within us. We're to not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what the Scripture says. Christianity is a new way of thinking. Not a modified way of improving our old self. We have a new mind. Paul talks about it in Romans 12. That we have a renewed mind. Now you're going to see tonight with John 15 how this parallels in many ways, runs on a parallel track to what Jesus is saying in John 15. But for the sake of this message, I want us to get these points. It's not a modified way of improving the old self. Christianity, number four, is allowing the Holy Spirit to do what we cannot do. I can't. He can. I don't want to. He can give me a want to. Number six, Christianity is a changed life. It's a changed life. And then lastly, Christianity is a partnership. It's a partnership. Now, where do kingdom attitudes start? In your notes, you'll see some definitions of the three primary Greek words uh, that were used uh, for love. And and in the Greek, there are multiple words to talk about love, but in our language, in in English, God had to keep it simple once he got it across the ocean. In our language, we have one word for love. And so we say it it in the same tone. I love Coca-Cola. I love Pancake Pantry. I love Donut Day when they give away a dozen Krispy Kreme for a dollar. (laughs) Praise your Lord for that. I love my car. I love cheesecake. I love Ole Miss football. We're not good all the time, but I still love it. And I love Jesus. I use the same word about multiple different things and there's no way I love Coca-Cola and cheesecake and Pancake Pantry like I love Jesus. Well, we have one word. So the Greeks had two or three different words and depending on what word they used, you knew what they were talking about. They had the word eros. And that means static, it is a sensual or a sexual word. Now, we're going to talk about how that can change in just a minute. Then they had the word phileo, which is the word we get philanthropy or the city Philadelphia of brotherly love. The problem with that word is phileo depends on feelings and on emotions. So, I may feel like I love you But if you don't treat me right, or if you don't answer me the way I want to, I'll unfriend you on Facebook. That's phileo love. Then there's agape. That is God's kind of love. Paul takes this word, rarely used, and he baptizes it, and he uses it to talk about God and God's unconditional love, God's unmerited love for us, which should make us treat other people the same way. So I am to show agape love to others the way God showed agape love to me. So look at Galatians 5.16. Galatians five. I just want to start here and put these verses in their context. And notice the contrast between spirit and flesh. But I say to you, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, envying drunkenness, carousing and things like these. In other words, what Paul is saying in verse 21, if I hadn't hit you yet, this, it's something like this that's going on. That's, that's the work of the flesh. Of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now just stop right there before we go any further. Paul says if these words are a lifestyle characteristic It doesn't matter if somebody can tell you what day they joined a church. They don't know Jesus. He says, if you live, if this is your life, your lifestyle, then you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so we have to be careful. Like... Preaching funerals, we have to be careful that we preach somebody into heaven that had an ungodly lifestyle and everybody thinks, well, I have an ungodly lifestyle. I guess I'll get to heaven too. And they never see that they'll never be in the kingdom of God. So Paul makes it clear. You live this way, you haven't had a life change. You haven't had a heart change. Then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So how do I live in the Spirit and not by my flesh? I die to myself. Jesus said take up the cross daily. Paul Paul says i have crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live by faith in the flesh, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus said, take up the cross. Jesus said, die daily. Why? Because that old side of me just wants to rise up wants to have its way and there are just people I don't want to love and people I don't want to be patient with and people I don't want to be kind with and there are days when I want to have a pity party and I don't want to have joy and there are people I don't want to be patient with. (laughs) Any of you that way? Oh no I'm patient with everybody. Mm -hmm. We've got video cameras on all the drive throughs in town. Let me talk to a few I'll call your names at the end. We'll meet and talk because I was right behind you and I felt the same way. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Here's what Paul is saying and here's what the Bible teaches. When God measures a person, he does not put a tape around his head. He puts a tape around their heart. You see, in the South, we've been exposed to religion so much, we think it's what we know that makes us spiritual. No, it's what you do with what you know. It's not how much you know. I mean, you can have a lot of knowledge, but if, if we are not living it out, God measures our heart. Am I doing what God says? And so Jesus sums up the law, He's asked, you know, what is the law? Just kind of give us a summary, Jesus. And Jesus takes the entire law of the Old Testament and says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's what you got to do. So love is a fruit of the Spirit. Love abides forever. Love is a matter of choice, but it's also a matter of conduct. Now, let's go back to Eros and Phileo. When eros comes under the authority of agape, it will end sexual abuse and infidelity. You see, if the and God made us as sexual beings. He made us that way. Adam looked at Eve and said, holy cow, that gal is good looking. That's in the marginal notes. You'll have to find that. But when our desires are under agape, then we won't have affairs and adultery and pornography and lust driving and ruling our lives because it will deal with and by the way, it'll get it'll do away with sexual abuse, it'll do away with child abuse, it'll do away with a lot of things. And that's why people need Jesus. Because they're not going to change by going to a correctional facility. They're going to only change when Christ changes a heart. Secondly, when phileo comes under the authority of agape, we will live in love like Christ. So not just brotherly love, you know, I just love to be around the people I love to be around, but I start loving like Christ and I see people the way Christ sees them. Now turn to Matthew chapter 22 and I want to give you three or maybe four words that describe this loving God with all our heart. So we love God first, foremost. God doesn't come in second or third. He's not running to be elected. God, we are to love first. Matthew 22 and verse 37. Just want to give you a few words to help you break this down a little bit. Love God with all your heart. That's discernment. Your ability to discern. God touches my heart and gives me a discernment about right and wrong, about choices that I make, about priorities. And with all your soul, that's your desires. God changes my desires. He gives me a want to for things that before I was saved, I didn't want to. And he changes my desires. And all your mind, that's your direction and your decisions. So if God works in my discernment, he works in my desires, then he works in my direction and in my decision-making so I can live in such a way that my life is showing the love of God manifested in my life. A.W. Tozer said, once the seeking heart finds God in personal experience, there will be no further problem about loving him. To know him is to love him. And to know him better is to love him more. The more I get to know my Heavenly Father, the more I want to know him. And by the way, the more I realize I've got to work on, it means that even at this point in my life, I am fully aware that I have not arrived, that there's still work to do, that there's still things to change in my life and in my heart. So we're to love God, we're to love our neighbor, now, in Luke chapter 10, you remember a guy came up to Jesus, he wanted to know, you know, well, who is my neighbor? He kind of wanted to be like Peter, who was saying, well, how many times do I have to forgive somebody before I don't have to forgive them anymore? You know, we always ask questions looking for loopholes. So, if I, how many times do I have to forgive? Well, 70 times 7. Hmm. That doesn't mean you count to 490 and say, that's it, that was 491. Jesus is saying, you just keep forgiving the way I keep forgiving you. Guess what? You want to forgive other people the way God forgives you. How many times have you gone to God and said, Lord, I can't believe I'm here asking you to forgive me of this again. And God never says to you, that's it. No more. He just keeps forgiving. That's forgiveness. So, who's my neighbor and how do I know where to, how to love them? So Jesus tells a story and in that story, he talks about two religious people. They were very active Baptists. Uh, one was a priest and one was a Levite. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And so the priest and the Levite find this guy laying in a ditch, and he's been beaten up and robbed and left for dead. And so they, they do what, you know, we as Baptists sometimes do they, they see there's, a, there's somebody that's hurting and in need over here, and we just kind of. I think I'll go on the other side of the road. It says that they passed by on the other side of the road. In other words, they got got as far away from hurting people as they could. And here's a Samaritan. Now, the Jews considered the Samaritans like a half-breed dog. They would go around Samaria before they'd go through it. That's why John 4 is significant that Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. I must go be around people that you folks hate so that I can show you how to love them. By the way, the greatest outpouring of revival in the history of Jesus' ministry was in Samaria, not Jerusalem. Not around the church crowd. And so this Samaritan comes along and he helps this man. He binds his wounds. He takes him and he puts him in an inn and he gives money to take care of the guy. So, here's who my neighbor is. It's who I meet in the traffic patterns of life. Today, Tomorrow, when you go through the drive-thru, the person that's waiting on you is your neighbor. When you go to the drugstore, the person behind the counter is your neighbor. When you go to the grocery store and you ask where something is, the person that helps you is your neighbor. When you go to the mechanic, that's your neighbor. When you go to Lowe's or Home Depot or the hardware store, that's your neighbor. When you go to buy dog food, whoever helps you, that's your neighbor. It's who you meet as you're going through life, that's your neighbor. In other words, there's no limit to it because every day your neighbors could change. Because you're meeting new people. You're in new situations. You're traveling somewhere else. You, got, you don't have the same waitress at the restaurant that you go to. You don't have the same person at the cash register. It's your neighbor, whoever you meet. And Jesus said, if you want to know what it means to love God and love others, you love your neighbor. You love the people you come in contact with. How are we going to change a lost world? By loving people we come in contact with. By loving people that we may never see again or may see sporadically, by people that need to know Jesus. So, love yourself. Love my neighbor as myself. What does that mean? I need to see that God loved me enough with all my quirks and faults and weirdness that God loved me enough to save me like I was. And he formed me and he created me in his image. He redeemed me by Jesus. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, I, I tend to, to love myself. Here's what we tend to do. Beat ourselves up. That doesn't help. And so we beat ourselves up. We, man, I cannot believe I just keep doing the same old thing. Or... We think we're better than other people, which none of us are. We think we're better than other people and we point fingers at them. And even if they have some of the same quirks and characteristics that we have, we we call it different things. You know, I have convictions. You're stubborn. I'm flexible. You're just weak. And we'll portray on somebody else and say when they have the same characteristics we have but i'm better than that that's not love your neighbor as yourself that is an overestimation of yourself and a lack of evaluation of that you are a lost sinner in need of grace and god loved you enough to save you paul said to the philippians everyone looks out for his own interests not those of christ jesus Now i want you to turn to luke chapter 6 because this is where it gets sticky <clears throat> loving your enemies. Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I love what A.W. Tozer said, I am determined to love everybody if it kills me. You ever had one of those days? I'll tell you what. I love them. I don't like them. You ever, you ever had one of those days where I mean, you you just got so many people that you just have such a hard time with that when you you go to the dentist, he says, you grind your teeth? Well, yeah! (laughs) Love your enemies. Luke 6, verse 27. But I say to you, to who? You who hear, love your enemies, Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. When I was uh, in youth ministry, I was in Spartanburg serving in a church and uh, I was there about three years and I got fired. Not a fun experience. Uh, I got let go, didn't get my vacation paid, nothing, just let go, fired, clean your office out. And if I were to tell you I just had the great joy of Jesus in my life at that moment, I'd be lying to you because it hurt and I didn't think it was fair. And I was kind of like Job, I wanted to have my chance before God to stake my case. So I got fired. Three weeks later we moved to Marietta and I was youth minister at a church there. They knew that, the pastor knew that I'd been uh, let go but I, I had some real issues with the pastor because I felt like we were at odds with each other and it did not end well. So about a year later, I'm at a conference in Houston, Texas. And I'm walking down this corridor outside Fellowship Hall, Second Baptist Church, Houston. And I see the pastor and his wife walking toward me. Now, my fleshly instinct was I was right at a door. I could just turn and go in that door and avoid seeing them. And God spoke to me and clearly told me what I needed to do so I walked right toward him and we were about as far away when I saw them as to the back door of this room and I started walking toward them and I hugged his wife and I shook his hand and I put my arm around him and I asked him if I could take them to lunch and we went to lunch and that day all the anger and the bondage and the accusations from the enemy all went away over a hamburger. They were all gone. Now, to even complicate that story further, the pastor was Charles Lowry's brother. And Charles and I were on staff together. And one of the ways that God softened my heart i'm trying to do ministry but i've got all this going in the back of my mind one of the ways god softened my heart was about six months later charles called me and he said uh i'm coming through atlanta could i stop by and see you and he showed up at our house like at seven o'clock at night and just said hey i I love you man and uh i'm sorry for what happened and uh, i wish i could have done something to change it but he said you know my brother and we knew We both knew his brother, and he knew, and I knew, and Fred knew. Fred has preached in this church. He preached for me when I was in Oklahoma. Because it's not enough just to say, okay, that's in the past. I've I've buried it. That's in the past. You have to love somebody the way you love yourself. You have to treat people the way you want to be treated. The interesting thing that happened after that was about a year later, Fred called me and asked me if I'd join his staff in Louisiana. That's what you call going full circle. That's what you call the redemptive grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the love of God. Oh, by the way, Jesus hung on the cross between two thieves and he said about the people that put him on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. All he was doing was showing how much he loved sinners. And if Jesus can pray for his enemies, maybe we can pray for ours. So here's my suggestion. You got enemies? Make a prayer list. And pray for them every day until God gives you a love for the people that you have a hard time loving like you need to have. While we were singing this morning the Lord brought some family to mind that it's really hard for me to love. And I simply before I walked into this pulpit I said, Lord, you know, and I named them to the Lord not like the Lord didn't know, the Lord didn't go, really, <laughs> really? I named them before the Lord and said, Lord, I need to love them the way you love them or they're never going to see the love of God. Because they see me as a preacher. But do they see the love of God in me as a believer? So I want us to read some verses out loud together. These are from 1 Corinthians 13. And sometimes we need to hear these words rolling off of our lips. Uh, so that we're reminded this is what love looks like. By the way, these words are not just for weddings. Let's read it aloud together. Love is very patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. You remember the church... uh, in the book of Revelation that lost their first love, it's easy for us to do that. Because you see, if I don't love God the way I'm supposed to, I'll never love other people the way I'm supposed to. I won't love my enemies the way I'm supposed to. I won't view my life the way I'm supposed to. And so this church, and a church is just people, the, the messenger says to John, write this down, they've left their first love. Now guess what? Buildings don't lose their first love. The room you meet in for Bible study, that room does not lose its first. It's it's just a building. But the people inside a building can lose their first love. And we can get focused on our rights and our irritations and, and not on what God wants to do in our lives. And so what did Jesus say to the church that left their first love? He told them three things. You need to remember where you came from. You know, when we don't love people, we forget that God loved us when we weren't very lovable. So you need to remember where you came from. You need to repent, that means to turn around to change the way you're acting, the way you're living, and you need to return. Do the things you did at the first is what it says in Revelation 2. You need to return. Get back to loving God with all your heart because when an individual in the church and individuals in the church begin to love God with all their heart, it shows. We don't walk on the other side of the road. We don't avoid people. We love people. Even people that are hard to love, those extra grace needed people. We pray for them. We love them. We show them by our actions and by our deeds that we are recipients of the grace and love of God and we want them to know the grace and love of God. You know why some people are hard to love? Can I just tell you why? They don't really believe God loves them. And so they don't love themselves. They beat themselves up. They don't really believe that God cares and God sees and God knows and God loves. So I want to give you a little homework. The homework is to take Galatians five, twenty-two and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, and turn it into a prayer every day this week. Just pray it. Just pray the scripture. And as you're praying it, say, Lord, I want these to be true in my life as you, by your Spirit, do this in my heart. Pray it every day. That the fruit of the Spirit would be evident in your life. That love would be evident. That peace and patience and self-control and kindness would be evident in your life. And that you could even pray, Lord, if I get in a situation this week, And I don't want to be kind or I don't want to have self-control. Would you remind me of what Jesus looks like inside the believer? If you're here today and you don't know Christ, then you don't know the love of Christ. Then can I tell you something? God loves you just like you are. And he doesn't love you to make you religious. He loves you to make you like Jesus. And you don't have to clean up to get to him. You don't have to do better, try harder, and one day you'll be worthy of his love. No, you'll never be worthy of his love. He loves you anyway. He loved you so much he sent his son to die for you so that you could have life instead of death, so that you could have joy and peace instead of hatred and despair. God loves you that much, and today you should give your heart and your life to Jesus because he'll change you, he'll change you. Slowly, sometimes seems imperceptible that he can do it, but he does it. And you'll find little by little, day by day, moment by moment, he does things in your life. Some of us need to remember a little phrase, be patient. God's not finished with me yet. And God's not finished with any of us. We're a work in progress. And when we're telling somebody that Jesus loves them, it is not to say, I have arrived and I have all the answers. It is to simply say, I know the one who has the answers. And that one is Jesus. And he sets captives free. And he loves the unlovely and he loves the hurting. And he loves the people that we're going to meet this week that are in a ditch that feels like nobody cares. He's going to use us to love them. Let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I want to invite you to come this morning. Just walk down these aisles and find one of these men at the front and just say, I want to give my heart to Jesus today. You may not even understand all that that means. But today, you want to give your heart and your life to Jesus. We can help you understand that so that you can know that you have a relationship with Christ. But if you're a believer, there may be somebody you just have a hard time loving and you need to come to the altar and pray or you need to pray right where you are, but, but you know that something needs to change based on this message about someone in your traffic pattern, about someone in your routine that you need to love the way God loves them and so while they play and our our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed if you need to be saved just, just step out and do what God wants you to do today what you know you need to do today give your heart to Jesus today come and lay that name of that person down before the Lord and say today Lord I want to love them the way you love them